the close of a series. I would believe but, and matter of fact, let me put the verse on here that really is at the heart of it as we look to minister and to make a difference in people's lives, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Giving the reason for hope with gentleness, respect. When people struggle with those difficult questions and you think of how can a loving God send people to hell was one of them we covered. How can Christianity claim to be the only true path? The problem of evil and a loving God, how do you reconcile those and how do you communicate those things to people who are struggling with those questions and so many more? But today... In many ways, we come to the pinnacle of the series. Today is about a stumbling block for so many people as they look at the objections. And the objections actually, I I think, are meant to deflect sometimes, not dealing with this issue that we have today. It's such a sobering issue, this idea that if you notice your sermon outline, the problem of Jesus so I, I have to confess as well, it, it was kind of a weighty week in, in uh, studying for this on some of the issues, and I think you'll see that. So I, I want to begin, I just want to pray again as we begin the sermon. Father, I do, do give you thanks for today. Lord, as we come to this issue centered on your son, Jesus, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom, insight, Um, Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts, reveal the things that you need to reveal within us, and because we want our lives to be centered around your son. So we just give these few minutes to you, and I pray that you would work these things we pray in your name. Amen. Some of you know a talk show host. I'm going to put his picture on the screen. Larry King. Uh, I don't know if he's still on TV right now, but he was one who over the years have done tons and tons of interviews. And and someone asked the question, if there was one person that you could interview that you've never interviewed, who would it be? And and he stated this, he would like to interview Jesus Christ. The questioner followed up with another question, what would you like to ask him? And and King replied, I'm going to put the quote on the screen. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. See, Larry King understood something. If Jesus was indeed the Son of God, then everything would have to change, even about his own life. He knew it. He knew it. But a question for you. If Jesus were to walk through those two doors and you saw him, what would be the first question that you would want to ask? Would it be about the virgin birth? Would it be about what Matt talked about last week, creation? Would it be why suffering is in this world? Or, or maybe it's, is who in such a, you know, is such a person? Are they in heaven? What would you ask him? Now, one of the sources that I've used is a book called The Problem of God, and Matt actually, I think, referred to it last week. But one of the chapters in there is really the title of our sermon today, The Problem of Jesus. 
See, if Jesus walked in those doors, many people they don't even recognize have a problem with him. Matter of fact, in the United States, let me show you some stats. These are from 2015. I don't know if you know this, but 92% say Jesus was a real person. Nine out of ten say that Jesus was real. Look at the next one. 56% believe that Jesus was God. He was the Son of God. The rest on that stat would go, nah, he's just a good guy. Now, I've been using Uncle Bill in this series a bit. See, Uncle Bill also has a problem with Jesus. And it's not just the hypocrisy that he complains about or our belief in hell, but I think the real reality is is that Uncle Bill wants to dismiss and use some of those questions to dismiss this idea that I have to deal with Jesus. He sidesteps. Because he doesn't really want to encounter the son of the living God. But recognizes, well, Uncle Bill's problem is also generational. We recognize that. His grown children who are millennials also have a problem with Jesus. And I don't know if you realize it, but they're in a group, they're millennials. And, and only 48% of millennials would say that Jesus is God. Now, the generation behind them, what is it, 21, 22, somewhere in that on lower generation Z, I suspect they're going to drop significantly in what they say about Jesus. But let me show you a quote that I came across from David Kinnaman. He's from Barna Group. Here's what he said about the millennials. Much has been made about whether millennials will get serious about church and faith as they age, but the fact is younger Americans are not as connected as older generations are to Christ. Jesus is a friend of sinners, but many millennials are unfriending him at a time when their lives are being shaped and the trajectories set toward the future. I think that reminds us, as for us that are a little bit older, we can assume that our faith in our children is not automatic. I think if you grow up in the church, we just kind of assume our kids are going to come to a saving faith. So I think this, if we're a parent or even as a church, if we want to leave a spiritual legacy, we have to go beyond concern. I find many parents are concerned about their kids, but they're not taking intentional steps to disciple their children and help them move toward a life-changing relationship with Christ. The problem of Jesus for children For young adults, for old adults, we got the problem of Jesus today. But let me begin with a question. It really is an application question, really, that fits in the whole context of today. And it's this, if you're following along on your notes there in the bulletin, if Jesus is really God, he's really the Son of God, what difference does it make as we live our lives today. As we walk out of that door, the fact that Jesus is God should make a difference in our life. See, if we truly believe that Jesus is God, something has to be changed in terms of the way we live. Larry King knew that. But today, here's what I want to do. I want to show you really just the width 
uh, or the, the number of people that have problems with Jesus and how we deal with that. Now, the first, realize that at the very beginning of his life, it, as he grew up in his home, people had a problem. Look at John chapter 7, verse 2, the first group here. When the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And now John adds some commentary onto what his brothers just said. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own family, the first point there on the outline there, some of his family would not believe in who he was. Now, in in fairness to them, I, I think we need to think about it this way. If Jesus was your brother, and you were growing up with him, can you say a favorite child? about Jesus he was the star of the family just think growing up with him in the family I I think we almost can assume that we would if we were a sibling we would have a problem with Jesus anybody of you you know that you were the rebellious one in the family any of you out there that want to raise your admit there's a couple of you that admitted (laughs) just think of comparing yourself to Jesus Growing up, I don't think I'd want to be in his family. So the fact that his siblings really don't respect him and believe him to be God is almost understandable. But even beyond the family, think of that era. He grew up in a community. He grew up in a town. There was friends of the family. There's people, again, that he went to school with. All of those things And look at this other group. Look, Luke chapter 4, verse 21. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now he's just beginning to um, do his ministry here. And all spoke well of him, and he marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said this, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now what does that mean? The people that knew him in that day did not respect him. They had a problem with him. Now, it's an interesting proverb that no prophet is acceptable. It's a, that's a proverb, but I've actually seen that in families where, where kids have changed and their spiritual things happening and the rest of the family won't respect them because of they're always they, they, how they used to be. So Jesus grew up in a community. But when you think of the the Pharisees or the scribes and the people that he went and and, and got trained even in the scriptures from, the religious people recognized Jesus wasn't an outsider that came into the community. He was one who grew up and people still had a problem with him. There's a second group. And it really applies to us today. Number two, there's many religious groups out there. Folks, they have a problem with the biblical Jesus. 
Think of the different religions of what they think about Jesus. Muslims believe Jesus was one of Islam's many prophets, a good and holy man, but certainly not the Son of God. Mormons believe God created Jesus through a relationship with one of his celestial wives. I don't know if you know that. In the Pearl of Great Price, that publication, even Satan was a son of God. And Satan and Jesus were brothers. And Satan had a nature that was similar to Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus was and is merely an angel. He was just one of many gods that they say exist. Now, in that context, if you look at their Bible, they won't put Jesus, they'll put it small g. Small g. New Agers believe that he was an enlightened teacher who realized he was God, just like we all can be a God. Hindus believe Jesus was the one and many of one of many great holy men. He was a good teacher. Yeah, maybe he was just one of the incarnations of Brahman, their deity. Buddhists believe Jesus was an enlightened man, God in the flesh. No way. See, each group, they will not allow Jesus to be the true God. They'll accept him as a good man. But to be the one that is God and the pathway to life, no way. No way. But there's another group. And Jesus talks about this group. They have a problem with him. And... I think we have to apply this even to our time. Look at the third group, number three. See, there are religious people within Christian churches, as applied to today, that don't even know that they have a problem with Jesus. People in churches who attend have a problem with Jesus. Let me show you the passage that Jesus speaks of it. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Folks, these words are some of the most Difficult words that I think are written in Scripture. And it's directed at religious people, even when in a a faith-based understanding like ours. A group of people who do not know that they have a problem with Jesus. But think about this in terms of our modern world. If you were to assess this type of person, we can assume that this person grew up in a Christian church. Probably from a Christian family. They were deeply religious. They were committed. But that phrase, even Lord, Lord, I don't know if you recognize that. It shows that they gave him respect and even gave some authority to Jesus. Came under his authority. They're prophesying in his name. What does it mean? They're telling other people about potentially Jesus. They served him profusely. And they can point to all the things that they've done for him. You know, I think deep down when you look at this group of people, 
They're good with Jesus. Jesus and me, we've got it nailed. We're good to go. But you notice on that day, this ominous verse, I never knew you. I never knew you. On the day that eternity started, for some, they're going to be surprised. They're going to have a problem with Jesus. You know, I I think the reality is they equated working hard for Jesus with a relationship with Jesus, and that it's not equal. It doesn't compute. There's another group. Many of them fit into that last in terms of number three, but let me show you another one from John 5. It's actually, I I think, a a reality that we don't really want to consider, especially those of us who grow up within the church or grown up in a Christian home. John 5, verse 39. Look at this one. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. The fourth group. See, there are people that have a deep knowledge about Christ. But believing that it equals a relationship with Jesus. See, this is about people who grow up in a church. They can be diligent students of the scriptures and still not know him. They don't know that they have a problem. You know, the Jewish leaders, particularly the scribes, they were proud of the knowledge of the sacred writings of the Old Testament. And they were still unable to recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah and he was right in front of them. Reading the Bible didn't turn them toward Jesus. Now you got to apply this to the religious scene today. See, people can spend a lifetime, even you can master Hebrew and Greek. You can be saturated in Bible studies. You can become experts in exegesis. And yet you do not know the Son of God. In the genuine sense of the word, no. Folks, biblical knowledge without a growing relationship, Christ falls short. It comes apart. Biblical knowledge without the Holy Spirit guarantees nothing. One can be a student of the Bible and miss Jesus. I don't care how many years you were in Awana and learning Bible verses. You can miss Jesus. And then at times, I think what we do is we create some kind of dysfunctional theology and we look at, we take some of the verses and we don't really quite develop our theology in a, in a biblical way. As a matter of fact, I really didn't develop it in the first servant, but Isaiah 55, we, we use, we create kind of cliche theology and we go this, the word of God isn't going to return void. We think that in the positive sense, but when you go back to that, John, people are diligently in the scriptures And nothing's happening. How do you reconcile that? Well, the fact is, and I'm going to say this later as well, 
Sometimes the scriptures will pull you toward Christ. Other times scriptures will push you away from Christ. They'll call you into account of what's really going on. There's another group as people as well. I got to go to a, f- a fifth group. Look at the Bible story just real quickly here. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Here's how I phrased it in your notes. There are people who like Jesus, but refuse to... Truly, to really give him first place in their lives. Uh, That word preeminence, I think, would fit here. Is Christ preeminent? Jesus, we like what you offer, eternal life. But do we really have to give up all and follow you? Do we have to abandon the things that we really love? Really love in order to follow you? Now, now in this text, I think here, here's where you got to, when we jump forward from back then to now, there's a little bit of changes. in back then, money and possessions, and that's a part of it for us. I, I, I think it really is. But let me point out the bottom line on this for the rich young ruler. I, I think this, he represents people who like to tag along with Jesus as long as they can remain a consumer. A consumer. I want something out of it, Jesus, especially if it feels good, but if it costs, not so much. See, see, I think this is a tough one for all of us, even within our culture. Let's be blunt. Because of where we're at in the United States with the amount of money and the possessions we have, I'm not convinced that is the greatest issue for us anymore. The greatest commodity for us is our time. It's time. You know, when I began to date Deanna, I learned that spending time together leads to a deeper relationship. Why we'd spend hours on the phone. She was in Minneapolis. I was in St. Cloud. But when you apply this, are we willing to give time to pursue the person who loves us more than anyone else? Jesus. If we're not, we got a problem. 
But even go farther, are we willing to give up time to love our neighbors as ourselves? See, it takes time to love someone who doesn't know Christ just so that they can begin to glimpse of his love for them. See, but Jesus, can't I follow you when it's convenient? You know, I got the Vikings to watch. They might make the playoffs. Nah, they're not going to. Don't worry about it. You can give. Okay. But do I have to spend time with people? It takes time. What if I don't enjoy them? See, Jesus, it isn't convenient to be committed to a group of people at church and offer them our love. Sure seems like a lot of work. Sure takes my time. This broad group of people, what are we willing to give up for the sake of Jesus? Do we live differently? This leads to number six, though. In many ways, it's the obvious one. We have to admit this as followers of Christ. Number six, that there are born-again followers of Jesus who have a problem with Jesus. And I've got to confess to you, at times, I have a problem with Jesus. Now, realize growing up in our faith and, and pursuing Christ, I've got to point something out, is a process here. You've got to hear that from me. We don't go from infants in our faith to maturity in our faith overnight. But the truth is, if we stay infants in our faith, we have a problem with Jesus. If we don't grow, we stay spiritual consumers. See, a growing relationship with Christ and with the body of Christ has to be more than just convenience. You know, my marriage, if my relationship with Deanna is based on a a convenience with me, I don't care how you cut it, it's a bad marriage. If our marriage is based on convenience, it's not really a good marriage. But think about that with any relationship. Any relationship, even with Christ. But here's the struggle for us, I think. Let's just be honest. We hear this, we read the scriptures, we look at the rich young ruler, and we open up the scriptures, and we compare ourselves, and we look at others that are doing more moral sins that are much worse than ours. But once in a while, we we pull it up, and the Holy Spirit tries to reveal the selfishness that's the root of the real issue in our lives not knowledge it's self-love so the struggle is applying it to our lives and yeah the scripture is a mirror for us but i want to show you from james chapter 4 and just dig here for a moment look what james chapter 4 reads it's about the, the, the truth and god reveals it to our lives as he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
You know, even hearing stuff like this, we can feel bad. We can feel bad. But we walk out of the door, and if it quickly fades away, let me tell you this. It was not conviction. It was just feeling bad. See, feeling bad and conviction are two completely different realities. Conviction isn't true conviction unless action happens like James 1, that passage. See, we realize we hold up a mirror, and, and if I, God is saying, Ken, you've got to love your wife much more profoundly. And if I walk out of the door and I don't do anything different, It was feeling bad, but it was not conviction. I don't know if you know, but the root word of conviction is to be convinced. It's that word convinced. Certain. That will lead to action. But the reality of our sin, again, it's self-love. That's the deepest form of sin. It keeps us often from true conviction. Thus, it keeps us from action as well. Understand, our self-love keeps us in the consumer mode. A consumer. That's how we view church. That's how we view relationships. That's how we view people. And if we don't grow up in our faith and move beyond that self-love to love the one that loves us the most, we stay a consumer. And when we're stuck there, we got a problem with Jesus. I see the default thinking, I think, is this. What's it going to cost me? My time, my money, my energy. Giving is measured. We don't grow up. We can give you so much time, but you know it's going to cost me way too much. And, and here's what we forget. The kingdom of God is upside down. It, it says when you give the spiritual world comes back. It comes back. It changes us. When we grow up in Christ, more and more, it becomes a response where we we come to a place where we love him more and more and our doing and our responding is not out of duty, it's out of delight. Because he loves me. Because he died for me. But babies in the faith, Christians who don't grow up, here's the deal. You can have lots of knowledge. Knowledge is not the issue. If it's still centered around us and our convenience, we're still a consumer. We want it easy, though. We 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 want to count the cost. Keep our options open. Something better might come along. You know, as a church... We're looking to bring every old and young person to a deeper love relationship with Christ. And you've heard this lots of time. What we want is to make disciples where we become people who are taking people by the hand and walking toward Jesus and helping them know him, love him, serve him, worship him, and jump into the kingdom of heaven. They would in turn find somebody else and go down that path. That's what our goal is. But the greatest hindrance to that issue of helping somebody walk down the path is consumerism within the church. 
the attitude, what's in it for me? So here we're approaching Christmas, the incarnation of God. God sending his son into the world become man. I don't know if you realize that it is the greatest miracle in all the world. More than just somebody being raised from the dead, even when Jesus was raised from the dead. The incarnation of God is the miracle of miracles. It was the greatest act of love that a God would become man and come down and become humble himself to become a man. And because of that, he invites us to a different response. Matter of fact, let me show it to you. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, Christians who want to stay consumers, basically to stay childlike in their faith, have a problem with Jesus. But what they don't know is that they actually have a problem with the incarnation of Jesus. Because if they don't live any different, that God become man, they have a problem. Jesus humbled himself to become a man. Just think of that miracle. And then you go to this, so what? Look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. See, because of the incarnation, we are to take responsibility to serve others. Because Christ served us, and he was God himself. You know, this time of the year, it's interesting because even like a nursery in a church has huge needs. Um, we have Christmas Eve coming up here in, what, about a month or so. And I don't know if you realize on Christmas right now, Christmas is the one holiday that people who have a real problem with God will come back to church. And one of the things that we want to do is try to provide child care, even at our Christmas Eve services, 3 o'clock and 4.30. And we were wrestling with this on staff, as a staff last week, and how can we get help, you know, because it's such a family night, how are we going to get people to sign up to help for those nursery elements? See, we want to serve the people that don't know Christ and they walk in the door on Christmas Eve. Showing up with their kids. But if 
we stay a religious consumer, I, I don't want to get tied down. I, I don't want to commit ahead of time. You know, that's for those people who like babies. But just maybe the reason we don't like babies is that we love ourselves too much. Is that possible? Okay, i got to stop stepping on toes here, maybe. God wants us to be so in love with the Son that he changes us from the inside out. But let me come back to 1 Peter 3 again. How do we give a reason for the hope, especially for those first five groups of people that have a problem with Jesus? What's our answer? What's the hope here? It's one word, and it's the word gospel. It's about the gospel. They need the gospel. The good news that literally it's the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That he became man. That he died for us. That he took the sin from our lives. Matter of fact, I want to put up a verse just to remind you of this. Romans 1.16. Paul writes this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the Spirit of God takes the truth about who Jesus is and it confronts them on how they're living their life. Just the gospel can do that. Now, here's where i got to point out when you, God's word even there. For some, it's drawing people into a relationship with Christ. For some, it's pushing them away, and they are now without excuse. They can't give an excuse anymore. But we trust as we share the gospel. It's why we need to learn to communicate. We need to practice it. We need to be able to tell our stories, how God changed us, and weave the gospel in it. I don't know if you know this, but the middle school and the high school school this fall have been studying the gospel of what really it is all about, how to understand it. But the reality is maybe there is some of here today, you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And right now you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know if I really know him. And here would be my encouragement. When we pray at the end, just bow your head and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to give my life to you and start a relationship with you. And then just tell somebody else that you've done that. But what does it mean for us that do know Christ? We really have a relationship with Christ. See, the question is, are we willing to pursue him and to love him? You think of that great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your will and your strength and every part of our being. Are we willing to do that and to take the time to do that. 
We need that in our lives. And folks, when that happens, when we taste to see how good God is, it changes us from the inside out. And the serving that, yeah, I was maybe guilting some of you toward, you, you begin to delight in that. And it's not always a duty. See, when we taste to see how good he is, we can begin to delight and we respond. And when we serve right, it is out of worship alone. Because God is so good. And he became man just for me. And he died for me. And he gave me life. And we begin to serve him. And we look at other people differently. And we look at our neighbors differently. We look at our friends differently. We look at people walking in the church differently. How can we serve and love them? And we move from becoming a consumer to that Philippians 2 passage, other-centered. Let's stand and pray.